I'm convinced that people just think Jesus just wants to tell you off. Jesus wants you to win. John 10.10 was a theme verse for us last year. And in it, Jesus says, I came that you would have the fullest life. That's always been Jesus' heart. That you would do well. You'd flourish. You'd smile. You'd be happy. There'd be peace in your heart, joy in your heart, a smile on your face. That's what he wants. And so as we live like Jesus, that's where you end up. The reality is Jesus came and he lived out a bunch of principles. And as we follow those principles, the result is the fullest life. And we went on a journey with some of that last year. But I've been quite moved as I've just considered this thought process today. And looking at Jesus, who is the king of heaven. Jesus is the king of heaven. And yet he was willing to be so vulnerable that he was become a baby and put himself in someone else's arms. Just, just wow. The king of heaven, all-powerful, all-conquering, creator of it all, says, I love you enough that I will position myself in someone else's care. A child in the natural, helpless. You know, if you've had a baby, you will know you have to do everything for that baby. The king of heaven loved me, loved you enough to put himself in that position. That thought process just started blowing me away. But he came from heaven to earth to show what a king's heart looks like. And it's just so, you know, you start looking at it and he's just like, wow, he is the king of heaven here to break bondages. The king of heaven here to bring provision and break lack. The king of heaven here to open eyes and heal the sick and cure the leper and all those things, amazing, amazing things he did. But he did it from a place where he was just willing to come and show what his heart looked like, starting out as a baby. Mark 10, 45 says this. Jesus speaking, even the Son of Man, even me, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. When you look at it as the King of Heaven who has everything, he came down as a baby and his motivation was to demonstrate his heart. And part of that heart was to say, I'm not here for you lot to serve me, I'm here to serve you. Remembering John 10.10, when you live like Jesus, you end up with the fullest life. So that says to me, my heart needs to be willing to lower itself and become vulnerable to serve anyone and everyone, anywhere, all of the time. That's the heart of a king. That is part of what he came to demonstrate. So my mess, I've called my message today, if you like the title, it's Title King, Function Servant. And when you can grasp that, Life looks differently. You know, he always made it about someone else and not about himself. That's counterculture. The culture we live in today is actually about me. And, you know, we always laugh about it, but we have an iPhone, an iPad, an iMac. Even the, the biggest devices and biggest brands today are about I. And it kind of saying something without us realizing it. When Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve you. It's not about me at all. It's about you. So much so that me, the king of heaven, was prepared to come and be a baby in your midst and live like you. To demonstrate something. Powerful stuff. Someone's trying to get on the internet and use my password. It's saying, can you share your device? <laughs> Sneaky. I love this picture of heaven and hell talk about hell too much do we but someone sees hell they go into hell and they look around and what they see is this 
these vast tables full of choice food. Cakes. We've got great cakes over there today. Cakes. Thanks, Sarah. We've got, we've got you know, chicken and fruits and all this food that's just laid out on the table. But next to the food are the utensils, the knives and forks, and they're ginormous. And all these people are looking at this choice food and they're picking up the utensils and the utensils are so big they can't get it in their own mouth because they, can't, they haven't got long enough arms and they're looking at this lovely food and can't eat it. And this woman's like, what's going on here? Well, this is hell. This great stuff in front of you and you can't, you can't have it. And so they go to heaven and they look at heaven and they see the same picture. This great vast table with this choice food on it and these great long utensils. And then people start arriving and they pick up the utensils, they put a bit of choice food on it and feed someone else. And everyone is happy and fed because it's not about me, it's about you. Is the difference between heaven and hell actually a mindset? Is the difference between heaven and hell actually a heart attitude? Where if I make it about you, you're blessed, I'm blessed. Because then you make it about me. And together we build a family, which is what Jesus always wanted. And it just looks different. Jesus modeled something. As the king of heaven coming to earth to show a king's heart. And he said, I came to serve you. This is about you, not about me. And it moves things. You know, probably the biggest story around his servanthood is, is in John 13, where he washes the feet. And we read that story, and most of you will know that story, but we read that story and think, oh, yeah, he washed the feet. Nowadays, that wouldn't be too bad, probably, because most of you, looking around and just checking, most of you probably wash. Oh, dear, people have got a bit of conscience about that. Maybe you don't. Sorry if I pulled something up there. Most of you, so it's not too bad if I was to wash your feet. Back then... They wore sandals, it was hot, it was dusty, they didn't have the sanitation that we have now. Washing the feet was a servant's job, but it wasn't just a servant's job, it was the lowest job of the lowest servant. It was the worst job to have. And so here is the king of heaven coming to demonstrate his heart, and he says to his people, I'm going to wash your feet. And he does. Why? Because he's showing something. He's demonstrating something. I will do whatever it takes to make your life better. I am prepared to become the lowest of the low. Do you know why he can do that? Because he knows who he is. It's settled in his heart. He's the king of heaven. He knows that. No opinion, no person, no situation will ever change that. He knows who he is. And because he knows who he is, he can function anywhere. The trouble we have, I think, so often is that we can't function anywhere because we don't really know who we are. And so if I was to become the lowest of the low, I'd feel like I was the lowest of the low. It, it interested me that um, in my journey in life, I play professional football. Now, most of you will know that young lads want to earn money out of football, and it's a great life, and it feels glamorous, and it kind of is. And so when people say to you, what do you do? You say, oh, I'm a footballer. And they're like, oh, wow, that's great, that's great. But when I finished football, I became a window cleaner. And so me, the same person, when I'm talking to my friends and I say, what are you doing nowadays, Barry? And I say, I'm a window cleaner. like, <laughs> I was the same person. My function was slightly different, but people treated me different because of it. Jesus demonstrated, I don't care what you think of me. I know who I am. Therefore, I can do anything. Yeah, and it enabled his heart to serve others and bless others. Who changed the world the most in the history of the planet? Jesus. So it says to me, that his people, the church, need to start replicating his heart for people because it changes everything. 
And I, I, I love the fact that he said here, you know, even to death on a cross, to give my life as a ransom for many. And, you know, we know the story. Uh, it concerns me that we get too familiar with the story. Jesus, the king of heaven, creator of the universe, made himself vulnerable to be a baby, demonstrated what a king's heart looked like, lived a perfect life, did nothing wrong, and was put on a cross for something he didn't do. And he, lay, he stretched his arms out and he says, forgive them, Lord. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. What a heart. He was prepared to do whatever it took, become a baby, wash feet, even die because he wants you to do well. For me, what's not to like about Jesus? People have this opinion of Jesus. It's like you just don't know Jesus. You know, I love the fact that on the cross, loads of things were happening. You know, he says, I became poor so you would become rich. There will be provision in heaven for you because of, and on earth for you because of me. I took the stripes so you would be healed. I was rejected by the Father so you could be accepted by the Father. So many dynamics were happening in that moment. And we just look at the cross and go, wow, just come on. Just for a moment, consider what happened there. Your life is better because of the cross. And it stemmed from the king's heart. It was never about him, and it was always about you. And for me, there needs to be a response to that. You know, when I look at my King Jesus hanging on a cross for me, and he says, would you follow me? I want to replicate him. You know, Jesus changed the planet. Maybe a hundred odd people in church today. I wonder if we could all live like Jesus. Could we change a town? Could we change a county? Could we change... A nation. Could we? I think if our faith was stirred enough, we could, but it will stem from a heart attitude to replicate Jesus. That means us becoming counterculture. We are here on earth to reflect Jesus. Do you know, for most people, they won't meet Jesus through reading the Bible because they don't. They won't meet Jesus through coming to church because they don't. They will meet Jesus by engaging with you. So, what Jesus are you reflecting? Because when you're at work, you're not just doing a job, you're reflecting Jesus. When you're in your home, you're not just living life, you're reflecting Jesus. All of it, all of the time is always spiritual. And so our challenge then is, can we become counterculture, embrace this word and say, I'm here to serve. How can I make your life better? Because I know who I am. And if the job is to clean the toilets, or the job is to take the bins out, that's my job at home, by the way. Any men have to do that one? What about the food bag? Oh, did you do the food bag? Mate! <laughs> Josh, put, Josh scrapes his plate. We're getting him to scrape his plate. I think he's just snuck out the room. Josh scrapes his plate. He's the worst plate scraper in history. He misses all the bag. And, of course, it's in there for a couple of days before you take the bag out. And then it's all this slops everywhere. And you open it up and the smell hits you. I'm like, what, Josh, you missed the bag again. But I'm willing to do that. Because one of the things I like to do in my home is to represent the servant. I will serve. Now, of course, Josh, do your job better. But that's part of my role. And it doesn't affect who I am. It's how I serve. Do you see what I'm saying? So it begs this question if we're representing Jesus. What does your servant heart look like? What does your servant heart look like? Do you know what your title is? Heir to the throne. Prince, princess, son, daughter of the king. 
Your title is absolutely epic. The trouble is, I don't think we realize it. Your title is heir to the throne. If you can settle that in your mind, if you can settle that in your heart, if you know, you know, you know there is nothing to prove, no person's opinion, no situation can ever change that, you could do anything and it wouldn't matter. You could even do the food bin. But you hear my heart. Could we be willing to settle it? I know who I am, and whatever I do doesn't affect who I am, so I can do all things. Jesus demonstrated that for us, and he was showing us the heart of the king. He changed the world. Here's the trouble. We like a bit of status. We like some respect. We like a bit of authority. We want to be the boss. We want to be number one. We like to have a seat. We like to have a car parking space. We like things made for us. We want more than Jesus ever wanted. Hello? And here we are to replicate Jesus. I sometimes wonder if Jesus was living in amongst us today, what it would really look like, because I think he'd be up for doing anything. And so many of us are up for doing little. And it's just like we need to start understanding why we're on this planet and make every day count. And part of it is to shift our heart and become more like the king. He changed the world forever. Your function? Servant. Your title? heir to the throne we could live like that it's very quiet it's very quiet I'm expecting an amen from the back in a minute Nathan you're good for an amen where's Victor he's got to be good for an amen he's in our summer is he it amazes me how those who grasp this and show this heart actually win favour with God and with man 1 Peter 5 6 says this Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You see, it takes a humble heart to be prepared to serve, especially if you think it's something beneath you, and it may well be. But I believe washing feet was beneath Jesus, but he was prepared to do it. And so he humbled himself, but the Bible says the principle is if you're prepared to humble yourself, God will lift you up. Now, you can get status and say, I'm not prepared to do that because I'm the boss. Great. Men will honor you. Or you could say, I'm prepared to do what it takes and get under the hand of God and he will exalt you. Who's going to be better off? Exalted by men or exalted by God? Do we believe it or do we not? Do we like coming to church and clapping a song or do we want to live a lifestyle that's going to make a difference? And I believe God is stirring his people to live that kind of lifestyle. You know, it's definitely a biblical principle that makes life better. And in our family, we've got all kinds of stories to back that up. Um, Daniel's not here today, but um, many of you will know that he, was, he played football for Colchester United, so he was a professional football player. And he got taken on at age 16 and did a two-year YTS scheme. Um, and he arrived at the club as either a centre forward or a right winger. He was super fast and super tricky, really gifted. You wouldn't get the ball off Dan. He'd be skipping around you and nutmegging you and laughing at you probably. But he was so, such a good player. And uh, he forced his way through, and they liked him, and this, that, and the other. And then the manager approached him and said, there's an opening in the first team, but I need you to play right back. He had trained all his life to be this centre forward and this right winger, the glamour positions. Everyone knows a centre forward. Not many of us know the right back. And so Daniel goes and he plays right back for the first team, and he does really, really well and nails down a position. Why? Because he said, I don't care where I'm supposed to be. I'm just willing to serve the team. 
And out of that, in 30 YTS boys, two got given professional contracts and one of them was Daniel. And I believe it was partly because of his gift and his skill, but partly because of his heart attitude. He won favour with men. Do you see the picture? He could have said, no, I'm a centre forward and I'm staying a centre forward and I'm going to fight for that. And that would have been okay. But because he said, do you know what, I'll do whatever it takes, I just want to get out there. They saw something in him and he got a professional contract and he stayed at the club. Only two boys did that. It's about heart attitude. I remember when I was doing my degree qualification, I worked as a lifeguard for a summer. And uh, I worked at Riverside in Chelmsford. And uh, who knows that the swimming team start training at quarter to six? Quarter to six. But despite the fact that the swimming team and therefore can swim, you have to have a lifeguard there. And these guys and girls, they get in the pool. Have you ever seen them train? They are like... They are unbelievable. It's relentless. For an hour, they just go up and down, all different strokes, the butterfly, the backstroke, all of it. They're flying up and down. But at quarter to six in the morning, you've just got out of bed. You're walking in there, and it's hot. And the water is... (laughs) (laughs) I hope no one's going to drown because I'm really struggling here. But I did that. They would always put it out there and say, who's willing to do the early shift? And I did it probably more than anyone else. Later, later in the year, the, the, the whole centre had to have a, a revamp and they were having painters in and they were painting it overnight. But to leave the doors open, they had to have a member of staff in the building. And they were prepared to pay triple hourly rate to stay in the building overnight. So long story short, what really you're doing is getting paid triple pay to sleep in the building. Everyone wants that job. Oh, pay me three times to go to sleep. Duh. And so I put my name down for it. Who got the job? Because they looked at the rotors and they said, but he gets up every morning and comes and serves. Why shouldn't he have the job? I lowered myself to do the worst job, but God lifted me up in the sight of men and got me the best job in that environment. I think that's a life principle. That if we would have the heart to do what it takes to serve someone else, in the end, God will lift you up. So everyone wins. You serve them and they're like, wow, it's great. And then God lifts you up and you think, wow, it's great. Win, win. Yet we live in this world where it's about me. I've got my iPhone, my iPad, my iMac. It's all about me. But as Jesus said, it's not about me at all, it's about you. And he was showing the heart of a king. It can only really work when you know who you are. Because otherwise you'll start thinking you're this person down here when really you're this person up here. Settle it. I wonder what character trait is more endearing, likeable, Christ-like, entitlement or servanthood? I just love this idea of, you know, just looking at it in life spaces. How about husband serving wife? You know, it's kind of a, a weird one, isn't it? But you think to yourself, is your wife, men, in the room going to be blessed the day you have a day off, she goes out and you cut, she comes back and you've tidied the entire house, done the dishwasher, made the beds, washed the car and mowed the lawn. You're winning that day, by the way. <laughs> but it's like you're saying, I love you enough, I want to serve and help and play my part. Now, I don't know how you run your house, I'm making huge assumptions, but generally the lady looks after the house, that might not be your case. But how about you're prepared to do a role that would normally be her role just because you love her? And so therefore you serve her. She looks at you and goes, wow, that's a good night you're going to have right there. 
Because there's love in the room. Because there's servant hearts in the room. What about an employee serving a boss? I get paid to come in and do these hours and fulfill this role. How about go to your boss and say, is there anything else I can do to make your world better? I guarantee you, you're the star employee. And it's because you're willing to bend down and say, can I help? I've done what I've been asked. I'm prepared to do more. The, the, the employee who comes in an hour early and leaves an hour late becomes a star em employee. Why? Because they're showing a heart and willingness to serve. I'm paid to do this, so I'm only going to do this, and that's where it ends. You can do that, and that's fine. Or you can be Jesus and say, could I do some more to bless you? And it just brings this heart to serve. I just think a generous heart that's willing to serve just becomes a breath of fresh air. And, and it's, it's in, in Proverbs 3.34, God says, He opposes the proud but lifts up the humble. And actually, a, a lack of willingness to serve is linked with pride that you think you're too good to do that. And actually, if we could break that and you put it in that language, just wow. So looking at this in a church-based environment, I believe, and Mike last week referred to it, that church-based, our family becomes a training ground for life. You know, life isn't about this. Life is about us becoming more Christ-like to go out and represent him better. My hope is that I stir something in you, that you go out different this week and people in your world see Jesus in you better because we had this discussion. So church becomes this training ground. So if you look at this as an opportunity to train a servant heart, we could do great stuff together. And I just like this whole concept that church is a home, not a hotel. You know, when you walk in our building, you'll probably see there it says welcome home. And we put that because there'll be people coming to the church for the first time, the second time, who don't feel like they belong. But everyone belongs here. And when they come here, oh, welcome. Oh, this is home. We need to see this as a home. What's the difference? Anyone like, like a hotel stay? One night, two nights, three nights in a hotel is epic. Do you know why? Because you don't have to lift a finger. You know, you can go to bed. You can wake up in the morning and leave the sheets around. You can have a shower and towel yourself off and leave it on the floor. You can leave, you'll go out and have your day. You'll come back and ta-da, it's immaculate. That's just brilliant. Yep, oh, we do it, we do it. I wonder if she's been, where she's been, where she's been. Go in there. Oh, she's been, she's been, yeah, it's all neat, it's all neat. Oh, we love it. Hotels are great. Do you know what I love? Sarah always has a go at me. Do you know the little miniatures? The old shampoos and the showers, I love them ones. Anyone used to watch Ross in Friends who used to get his money's worth, you know, and he wouldn't leave his hotel room till 11 a.m. on the dot because he'd paid for it. What? Well, I don't do that, but I, I do take the little miniatures. <laughs> it's at the point, and it's a bit bad lead pastor here talking. Do you know when the cleaner's going round and she's got her trolley in, in the hallway? The miniatures are there, and there's hundreds of them. I'm like, <laughs> Sarah's like, put it back. I went, they won't notice. Oh, all right, all right. <laughs> but in our home, you know, they, they put two or three in your room, so you can have them. They're fair game because they've given to you. So we will take them, and in the, in the hotel, I try and use the smallest amount because I want to take it home. You know? <laughs> and um, we have, a, we have a, a guest room in our house and, and, a, and, a, and a bathroom they would use. And so we, we got, it's, it's jam-packed with these things. I'm so proud of it. It's my favourite thing in our whole house. <laughs> and, um, but the hotel environment is great because you don't lift a finger, and yet it's brilliant. The trouble is we can treat church like that. We come here and we say we're family, but 
Everything here, everything you see around you, someone did it. Someone set it up, plugged it in, turned it on, paid for it, organized it. When we go home, someone will pack it down, put it away. Someone is doing it. And if you come here and don't join in, you're treating it like a hotel. And that's fine because you're welcome here and we all love each other. But if we want to be family, we have to treat it like a home. And if, if you're at home and you don't contribute, home is not going to be happy. Who knows that if everyone swans in and one person is cooking and one person is clearing up and one person is hoovering and one person is dusting and one person is organizing everything, doing the washing, it's not a happy home. But if everyone does a little bit, more gets done, everyone wins. Yeah. Because we serve each other. This is our home. It's not a hotel. That's why parents, we train our young people to, to join in and help. Our children have jobs. And if they don't do the jobs, which is quite regular, we have to crack the whip and say, come on, join in. This is our home. And so if we're going to look at church as home, we need to join in. We need to help each other to achieve more. Otherwise, there are a handful of people doing everything, feeling stressed. If you study church culture, they call it the 80-20 rule. 20% of the people do 100% of the work. 80% of the people come and just enjoy it. I think we're probably ahead of the game there, but wouldn't it be cool if we could go past that? And my name's Barry, in case you didn't know. But my name means spearhead, which is great hilarity to my children. But spearhead means you go out first. Spearhead means you're cutting edge. Spearhead means you're breaking through something. And I believe God put that on my parents and named me that because we are called to be a spearhead church. So if the norm in church life is 80-20, we are called to break through that. Yeah. Could we be the church that goes 50-50, that half of the people are serving? Could we be a church that tips the edge and go 51%? There are more people in our church serving than not. And then you don't even have to serve every week. You could do one a month. If everyone in this building did once a month, everything would get done. But the reality is lots of people are serving every, every week because there's not enough people doing it. I want to throw that challenge out to you. This is our home. We are to replicate Jesus with a servant heart, and this is our training ground. Because if you can't do it here, I don't think you're going to do it out there. And therefore, people aren't seeing Jesus because of you. Let me unpack a great verse that you might be familiar with. Isaiah 40, verse 31. I'm sure most of you will know this verse. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. That's a good verse right there, isn't it? Now, sometimes when you're down in the dumps and struggling, that's a great verse to read and think, yes, come on, God, I'm going to rise above this. That whole picture about the eagle flies above it all. It's right there for us. But there's a word that says those who wait on the Lord. I think so often we take that to mean those who sit back and rest and go, come on, God, do it. I'm waiting on you, God. Any chance? If you are just resting and waiting on the Lord, why do you even need strength? You're fully rested. When you go to a restaurant, someone waits on you. They don't stand there at the bar going, flipping it, these people better go soon. Oh, I'm still waiting. They come and they serve. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Why? Because they've had output. They need strength renewing. I looked up the word wait so that I wasn't talking gobbledygook. Do you know what the word is? It's kava. 
Q-A-V-A-H. Turn to the person next to you and say, Kavah, in your best Hebrew. Q-A-V-A-H, Kavah. And this is what it actually means. Kavah means, that word there, wait, those who kavah on the Lord. It means strength in numbers. And it's links with pieces of string. If you tie one piece of string around something heavy and trying to pull it, the string will snap. If you tie lots of pieces around a heavy object and pull it up, it is able to bring it up. And so those who join together to serve God can achieve more and he will renew their strength. That's what it means. And so therefore, we've all these years been going, oh, I'm resting in God. That's not what it meant at all. It actually means as you join together, there is a greater strength and you can achieve more and you can move the heavier object and push past the mountain and break through the situation. It means those kinds of things that as we do it together, we join, we kavah. God says, I will get underneath you and you can rise up and go high above it. But that means we need to serve. That means we need to join in. That means we need to do it together. To have our strength renewed. I love the way that God calls us family and all the dynamics of family. And we find in, in 1 Samuel 3, we, we have the, the picture of Eli, the priest, training Samuel. Uh, Samuel's mum has given Samuel to service, dedicated to service the Lord. So there's a unique picture of service going on here. And you find this moment where they're training together and one of their key roles is to keep the lights on in, in the temple. You know, it's so great that we're called to be light of the world and the early, early priests, one of their roles was to keep the lights on. And so they would go to sleep. And Samuel hears this voice say, Samuel, Samuel. And he thinks, oh, Eli wants me. And he gets out of bed and he goes to Eli and says to Eli, yes, master, what can I do? And Eli's like... It's not me, sorry, just go back to bed, you must have heard something. Happens again, Samuel, Samuel, gets up, oh, Eli wants me, Eli wants me. What is it, Eli? Oh, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Happens again. And in the end, Eli realized something. The father is speaking to the servant. And he says, next time that happens, just say to God, here I am. And he'll speak to you. And it happens. And this is the picture. Here they are, an older generation and a younger generation, called to keep the lights on in a temple, called to keep the lights shining, called to be the beacon of hope together. The older person is tired and resting, not hearing necessarily what God's saying right now. The younger person is full of life and energy and willing to get up at any moment, hearing the word of God, but not understanding the word of God. And so the younger person, full of energy, goes to the older person and says, what's happening here? And the older person with revelation and wisdom and years of experience says, ha, I've been here. You need to ask this. You need to do this. You need to tune into this. And the picture is of a family together where the old people are necessary to train the young people. And the young people are full of life and willing and, and tuning in but not quite hearing correctly. And the old people are, have got wisdom and have heard it before and understand it. And they're training the young people to keep the lights on in the temple. And it all linked with service. And I just want to say, you older people in the room, we honour you. I just will not lead a church where the older generation is pushed aside. We are called to be family. 
and we need each other. But I want to see young people willing to try something, willing to get up and say, I'm available, willing to go on a journey and maybe sometimes get it wrong. But an older generation who's tuned into the Father and understands it all, going to them and saying, let us guide you here. And it's working together. It's kavar. Where we come together and say, an older generation and a younger generation, mixing our wisdom and our enthusiasm and our new ideas, doing it together. We're waiting on you and you're going to take us higher. And the lights shine brighter. I just thought that was a great revelation right there. And, and we need to grab it. We need to run with it. We need to start making this our culture so that we just do something special together. And as an older generation, it can be hard work and frustrating. Can I put a number on the older generation? If you're 45 and over, I'm calling you that now. We are mature people. I've snuck in there. Sorry, Ken, that includes you, mate. Because often a younger generation thinks we're talking about people who are much, much older than that. But actually there's a lot of maturity and wisdom in people in their 40s who have known Jesus a long time and have got some know-how. And so we do this thing together. And it's a great picture. If you, if you splice together all the things I'm saying here, you're building a picture of what a servant heart looks like about doing it together as a family, about creating an environment where it's home and the lights are on and people will come and meet Jesus. It's painting this picture where we train to do it here because we understand the process, but as we get good at it, it becomes our culture in life and you go to the workplace uh, and you're that and you go to the home and, and there you're that and you go to the social environment and there you're that. But it becomes who you are. Title, son, daughter of the king, heir to the throne function servant to everyone and it just breaks things open we are stronger together it, 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 it amazes me that for old people it's just like older people that training process can become laborious you know I, I was just reflecting back as Sarah and I had children and the children willing, you know, wanting to do stuff and join in, but you need to bring them back. You know, there's the early stages. Who can remember the times when your children in their nappies go from liquid food to solid food? Do you remember that moment? Wow. There's a whole lot of love in the room when you're willing to change that nappy. And, but you do it because you love them. And now as you see them growing up and flourishing, you think they're worth the fight. And I think the same is true now that you're getting young people meeting Jesus, starting to hear his voice and jumping out of bed and willing to serve and join in. But it's just like, hang on a minute, you're making a mess. Let's get that nappy sorted out. It's a bit stinky what's happening here. But you fight with them, you wrestle with them, you teach them, you train them. And then as the years go by, they mature into this amazing person that makes a difference. And we need to do this thing together. Because life will be better. That would be great if we could have a keyboard. Psalm 110 is my final verse. Psalm 110 verse 3 says this. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. You know, we raise a hand now if you want to see the power of God move in this town. Come on. We all want that. Psalm 110 says part of that is we need to join in. Part of that is we need to offer our service. Part of that is we need to offer our time, our energy, our finances and volunteer together because God's going to move in the midst of it. And so I hope in the midst of all this, I'm stirring something in you there. If you call this church home, there is a part for you to play. And it might not be 
host team. It might not be worship team. It might not even be a Sunday role. Do you know what? We need mature people who are willing to give counsel and pray. That's serving the church. We need mature people who are willing to gather a bunch of men together and wrestle through what life looks like as a man. We need mature people who are willing to gather a bunch of women together and look like what, it, what it's like to wrestle through life as a woman, as a young mum, as a career person. I'm trying to break the box open of what service can look like. But yes, on Sundays, every single one of our team needs populating. Would you be willing once a month to wear a T-shirt? Stand up, you've got a red T-shirt on today, please. Let's give these guys a round of applause. Thank you. Just thank you. Sit yourselves down. What you need to know is these people, James is a highly qualified solicitor in law. But he's willing to come to church and put a silly red T-shirt on to serve. You've got Azelia, highly qualified in social services, running teams and wrestling through that life. But she's willing to get here early to make this great for you. You've got, you've got Kevin here who lives in Tiptree, who's come here and got here early, probably on the bus if I know Kevin, because he wants to join in and serve. And I could go around all of our team and say something like that. There's always a reason not to serve. And often it's linked with pride. But how about we join in and say, do you know what? Shove it. If this is reflecting Jesus, I'm going to play my part in this family and allow God to do something on the inside of me that will eventually come out out there. Because what's going on privately will always end up publicly. David trained privately, but ended up with the biggest public victory in history. Jesus withdrew with the Father. No one could see him, but he had a public victory. This is private. This is family. The world's not seeing this. But we're training each other to have a heart of a king that will go out there and make a difference in your work world, your home world, and your social world. And we can do it together. I want to develop a culture where when anyone serves for the first time, we give them a round of applause. Because we're showing Jesus. We're making the the load lighter. We are doing kavar. And we will rise on wings like eagles and regain our strength and run and not grow tired because we're doing this thing together. Uh, are you hearing me? Over here and, and, you know, unashamedly I've created a moment because over there there's a bunch of pieces of paper with opportunities to serve. And I want to invite anyone who's not yet serving to go and have a look and just think, is there anything I could do here? And if there's nothing on there that you think is me, but you're willing to serve in some way, just make a note and say, Barry, I'm willing to serve. Here's my phone number. Can we have a conversation? But I'm inviting you to join in somewhere in the life of the church. And, and totally, no worries if you don't. If that's not where you're at yet, you are cool. You are welcome. I won't question it. But I'm putting what I believe is a Jesus-based challenge out there to join in. Because it's something to do with heart. And let's break this weird thing that is on churches across the world with this 80-20. Let's become the church that is 51-49, 60-40, 70-30. Let's become the church where in the end everyone is serving so much, everyone knows what's going on with everyone and we're fully in it together. And we will rise on wings like eagles and it's going to be epic. Can I pray something in? Would you mind standing with me and let's just pray over this. I find it helpful to close eyes. I invite you to do that. You don't have to, but it just gives us a moment. Lord, thank you for stirring our hearts, 
shifting our thought processes this morning. Lord, we take that challenge. I ask, Lord God, that you'd give everyone the ability to wrestle through what that looks like for them. We love each other. We've got grace for each other. But we are developing a home here. We're developing family here. And it's what you've always wanted. Let us become as a church the beacon of hope that you've always wanted. Let us be that city on a hill, that light to the nations. That when things are difficult and self-centered outside, they look to the church and go, wow, it's just different there and it's attractive. Those people are running and they're not getting tired. They're rising above situations because they know how to wait on the Lord. Jesus. Jesus. Lord, I just want to come against a spirit of apathy that sits back and watches and I break its power over the church right now in Jesus' name because we're running, because we're waiting on the Lord, because we're playing our part. Lord, we choose right now to lower ourselves, knowing that we are heirs to the throne, but willing to function as servants. Break pride in the church, I pray in Jesus' name. Let us all play our part.